what we're watching the final stretch of the Senate runoff. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Welcome to a very special edition. It's not a, you know, it's not a it's not an added edition because we always have editions on Friday, but it does feel very special because it's a holiday Friday. I hope everyone's enjoying their post-Thanksgiving Black Friday day of shopping or rest or whatever, however you celebrate. Uh, Patricia, how how do you spend your Black Fridays? Um, hopefully sleeping. <laughs> We're taping this before Thanksgiving, and we have been assured by Jay Black that people do listen to podcasts on the day after Thanksgiving. So we are bringing this for our listeners. Um, but yeah, typically after um, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, my goal is to get our Christmas tree up this year. So I just Ooh. so it's up and done, and then we can like start the whole the whole situation. So we're going to do that. My sister is visiting from Chicago. My other sister lives here. My parents live here. Uh, so we have our big extended family here. And so it's a wonderful time to get together with everybody. And my daughter has her first horse show this weekend. Oh, so we'll cool. be getting ready for that too. Well, in our family, the Thanksgiving period is also birthday period because both of our kids were born a day apart well, three no. years and a day apart, <laughs> right after oh Thanksgiving. Gosh. So we got birthdays on Friday and Saturday. We had the last two weeks, <clears throat> just like you guys, we had birthday parties the last two weeks. So one was at a, a jumpy place and the other one was at a bowling alley. The bowling alley was really fun. Um, so we had, a, we had a blast doing the birthday parties, but now we actually have to go celebrate the birthdays. And um, you, get all goes, to go, you get to go celebrate their birthday. Yes, we get to go. If all goes well, <laughs> um, I will have completed the half marathon on, on Thanksgiving, along with your husband, Patricia, and your sister. So everyone yep. but you. Everyone, everyone <laughs> I'm giving family. everybody a ride home. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so we will, I will have completed that long slog. And then I think on Friday, yeah, we'll, we'll be resting and celebrating Brooke's birthday at a slime factory. So very I have to exciting. find out more about that after this podcast. Exactly. Well, coming up on today's episode, we're going to chat about the three or four things we're watching closest in the final stretch of the Senate runoff between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Okay, Patricia, this will come as no surprise to our readers or listeners or viewers or anyone out there. But for me, the number one thing I'm watching 
in this runoff are the split ticket voters. 200,000 people who voted for Governor Brian Kemp did not support Herschel Walker. That was the single most important factor in the midterm race that propelled that to an overtime four-week bout that ends December 6th. Those split ticket voters have been showing up in every single poll since the summer. Some Republican operatives, some pundits thought that dynamic would fade away as election day neared and Republican voters, quote unquote, went home. Well, they didn't. A huge chunk of them uh, split their ticket, either withheld their support for Herschel Walker or voted outright for Raphael Warnock. And that was a huge factor. And it continues to be a huge factor. Uh, usually turnout uh, runoffs or turnout elections, they're about turning out the base. We're seeing that, of course, as well. But we're also seeing Senator Warnock make a sustained appeal to those split ticket voters trying to say that, hey, you know, those those reluctant Republicans who backed Brian Kemp should stay in Warnock's camp. We've had the Democratic Party of Georgia, of all things, held a press conference featuring proud Brian Kemp supporters. That's a day I never thought I'd see. Featuring proud Brian Kemp supporters who also were going to support Raphael Warnock. His messaging continues to focus on bipartisanship. And Patricia, Dave Matthews is coming in Monday, the ultimate split ticket <laughs> appeal, I think. Yes, Republicans had a pre-bottle to, to uh, Dave Matthews, really their own standalone event, with the ultimate argument that Governor Brian Kemp is for Herschel Walker. And so Herschel Walker brought Kemp onto the campaign trail for the very first time this campaign cycle. I, in my own opinion, it might have been helpful to have him before now, but but here we are in the runoff. It's a message he absolutely needs. He needs Kemp to tell those voters who voted for him to come on out and vote for Herschel Walker this time, even if they didn't vote for him the last time around. Um, what I'm going to be looking for when we're talking about those split ticket voters is also, are these campaigns changing their messages at all to both get their base voters out? They've got to get those base voters out because that's the majority of both of their supporters. Also, though, they also need to bring out those split ticket voters. Now, we do hear Raphael Warnock making a major, major play for those split ticket voters. And at an event earlier this week that you were at, he was talking about the fact that it's not about Democrats or Republicans, and it's not about red or blue. It's about right or wrong. And that is a message that he has sharpened that message quite a bit since he started on the campaign trail. When he began this campaign, he really was talking about what the Democratic Senate was able to do to help Joe Biden pass his agenda, talking about all those agenda items that maybe voters didn't know enough about, didn't associate with Joe Biden. They've really moved on now to really focus on getting those Republican voters or those Kemp voters back out for Raphael Warren. Herschel Walker's not doing that. He's really leaving that area of the field just solely to Raphael Warnock. Although they did have Brian Kemp come in, the Walker team has not changed his message at all. And it is a very, very conservative message, very focused on social issues and really digging into sort of a Trump-like language about woke policies and keeping men out of women's sports. He's campaigning with a female swimmer who competed against Leah Thomas, who was a transgender swimmer. So they are really digging into that. It's just a very Trump-esque campaign that they have run. And that uh, has not been, <laughs> no surprise, not been a huge appeal to those middle-of-the-road voters. But listen, it's a little late to change your message. It is also their plan and their hope that the most reliable voters in this campaign are 
100% going to be older voters. The older voters are going for Herschel Walker already by nine points. And so they just want to get their reliable voters back out to the polls and are making the assumption that the less reliable voters that tend to be in Raphael Warnock's camp, first of all, the Republicans who voted for him the last time around, and younger voters just make the calculation that they're not going to get out to the polls at all. And that nine-point number you have is from the AARP poll released exclusively to the AJC earlier this week. Patricia, that segues into our second point, which is the messaging that we're watching very closely. And let's hear from Senator Warnock when I interviewed him after a campaign stop earlier this week about his strategy of trying to appeal to both the core Democrats and those split ticket voters. It's a reflection of the kind of senator that I've tried to be and I'm in, I intend to be for the next six years. Uh, we're trying to build a big tent, not just for the election, but for governing. And uh, that's why I'm reaching to folks from my base all the way to the other side of the aisle. Patricia, he is making a clear play for what he calls the big tent voters. And it's something that, you know, we, we haven't heard Democrats make as much of a play for in, in recent years because we've we've heard more of a return to the base. You know, let's be authentic, liberal Democrats. And by doing that, we can drive up irregular voters, folks who skip elections, folks who Democrats haven't given a reason to vote for. That was the message from Stacey Abrams often and from other Democrats. Well, Senator Wardock is, you know, going the Big Ten approach saying, hey, we can go get the core liberals and we can also go get the plus, you know, those moderates. It's a message he worked effectively, but also a really hard one to make in a runoff where you just don't know what the electorate will look like. And it's hard to energize folks at all to come out after Thanksgiving to go vote again. Yeah, I do think it's so interesting that it is so different from Stacey Abrams' message and really different from Abrams' case that she was making to other Democrats in Georgia and around the country. You don't need to apologize for being a Democrat. You don't need to sugarcoat your Democratic liberal values. Just go hard, go unapologetically into base voters and get those voters and convince new base voters to turn out for you. This is really different from that. And when you also look at the messages of these campaigns, look at the surrogates that they're bringing out to reinforce those messages. Abrams has not been out on the trail for Raphael Warnock in the same way that Kemp has come out for Herschel Walker. Instead, he is bringing out John Ossoff, Dave Matthews, uh, really no big Democratic names other than Barack Obama, who also has his own crossover appeal. I think that that's fair to say. So those are the surrogates coming out for uh, Raphael Warnock. We'll also keep a very close eye on who else is coming out for him. Compare that to who uh, Herschel Walker has coming out for him. Just more of the same of his um, very conservative U.S. senators coming down to not make the case about his ability as a senator or his character although they do make those cases, but they're really there to reinforce the need to have more Republicans in the U.S. Senate. So the, when they come down, they're like, we need Herschel in the Senate because he's going to help us stop the Biden administration and help us pass conservative policies. And those are the those are the people around him right now, along with Riley Gaines, who is that um, female swimmer. Those are the messages that they are sending both explicitly and implicitly. And then we'll really watch carefully as we get down to the final days of this campaign, who else is coming in for these candidates? Will Donald Trump come in to Georgia before uh, before election <laughs> day? We ticking. know Republicans are hoping maybe not. Um, 
But we've got now got a presidential candidate who supports one of these two candidates, and the Georgia runoff is going to be the only game in town. So will we see Donald Trump before December 6th? I think I, I'm kind of a split ticket on that one. <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> split ticket. I'm a, I don't think so, but you never know. <laughs> I, I used to think so. I, I think a little bit less of that likelihood now. It's only two weeks left or less than two weeks, but we will soon find out. Okay, we're going to go to two more things we're closely watching after a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only your two devoted Politically Georgia hosts, but we're also two of the authors of the Morning Joke newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. And you can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and your first month of unlimited digital access is less than a buck. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, we've talked about split ticket. We've talked about the messaging. One other thing I am very closely watching, of course, is something we cannot predict. It is the turnout. You can have reasonably, you know, you had a reasonable range of predictions for the November midterm turnout based on other midterms, based on the presidential numbers, based on what some polls were showing. It is very, very, very hard to predict with any level of certainty the December runoff turnout. As Senator Warnock likes to say, the challenge for him is he's trying to get voters to come out for a fifth time in two years. If you look at the special election and the runoff last year, or 2020, I should say, and then the primary general and now runoff for 2022. That is a lot of voting for one group of voters. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, now a four-week period, not a nine-week period. It's right after Thanksgiving. There's still a number of voters who have no idea that a runoff is going on, despite the $300 million worth of ads <laughs> that are out there. And then, of course, there's that fatigue. And so it's really hard to predict and then even with all the really great modeling and statistical analysis and all that, the turnout models were completely wrong in the midterm. Uh, I was talking to Republicans who thought it'd be, you know, 300, 400,000 more voters that actually turned out than did. Turnout was underwhelming, and that might be one of the reasons why um, we are in a runoff. Yes. So when we talk about turnout, this obviously is going to be a big, big test of organization. It's going to be a, a big test of enthusiasm for these campaigns. I do think that Herschel Walker is going to have a nice boost by having Brian Kemp's turnout operation in place for him. That's something mm -hmm. we didn't know if Herschel Walker was going to be able to count on. Uh, but it's not just Brian Kemp's operation. The RNC has flooded the state with 400 paid staffers. We know also on the Democratic side, there's sort of a buffet of Democratic get-out-the-vote groups who are coming into town as well, just to knock on doors, to canvas, to tell people a lot of things that they may not know because, number one, this is a new date for a runoff election. So anybody who had memory 
memories or PTSD from the last runoff election in January. Now it's a whole month earlier. So they're going to have to, there is just no built-in muscle memory for a December election here in Georgia. They're going to have to tell voters all about that. They're also going to have to do their work about early voting. There is a crazy hodgepodge because each county can decide with some flexibility when they want to do early voting. There is a big hodgepodge of when counties are allowing early voting. Douglas County started earlier this week. They were the first and only county to vote on that particular day. There are going to be other counties allowing some weekend voting. There is a lawsuit over whether there will be more weekend voting, including on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And so that's a big piece of education that these campaigns are going to have to really work on as well. And then there's a twist also of which students are going to be in town. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to a number of people who have college students who had been in town for the last election but won't be in town for this election. It's a tighter turnaround for those mail-in absentee ballots. And that is a big challenge for these campaigns as well. So they would love for people to get out and vote early in person. But there are a lot of twists to that that make that harder and make canvassing and informing voters that much more important. And then the last thing, or one of the last things, we're watching a lot, but one of the last main things we're watching, December surprises, uh, because you just never know what could happen in the next few days, the last final days. We certainly saw our share of December and January surprises in the uh, the last runoff between the dual cliffhangers that Warnock and Senator John Ossoff ended up winning. And the w- one of the last ones, geez, I'm just thinking back in my memory banks, was of course the Brad Raffensperger famous phone call to Donald Trump that came out. It was issued the Saturday before the election, but it came out the Sunday before the election. And, uh, you know, that threw a wrench in the entire campaign cycle and dominated the news for really, <laughs> it, still hasn't, to. Yeah, it yep. still hasn't stopped dominating the news in some sense. Um, and then of course we had Donald Trump's last rally. We had Joe Biden and Obama come back to town in that cycle, this cycle all over again, we've got Obama coming back. We still don't know about Donald Trump or any other last minute Republican visitors. And we've got Dave Matthews. So We don't know what other surprises will come, but we will be on alert for all of them. Oh, absolutely. And those surprises, those last-minute events in a campaign that you cannot predict can make a really big difference in a close campaign. And this has basically been tied um, between these two gentlemen for months and months. So it feels like a tied campaign right now. And you just don't know. Like, you literally don't know what to expect. Um, with Donald Trump out there as a bit of a wild card, that could have an impact. Um, There could be an event overseas or domestically that makes people think twice about who they really want to have in the U.S. Senate. There could be an event with another U.S. Senator that changes the makeup of the Senate. You just don't know. And so um, we know uh, that there could be something between now and then that could shake up this race even farther. And so we're always on the lookout for those kinds of events. And uh, then we'll kind of quickly game out what it means. But those things tend to not show up until uh, the very last minute. And then we don't know how they're going to affect the race until the race happens. And that Brad Raffensperger phone call is such a great example because the phone call was on Saturday, released Sunday. I was at a Kelly Loeffler event at a town square in Noonan. And when you called me and said, oh my gosh, because you were one of the first reporters, one of two reporters to report that. I think you got the news out about 
30 seconds after the Washington Post. And it was just an absolute bombshell. Then, therefore, it ended up on the front page of the AJC the day before the election. Donald Trump came in that night for a last-minute rally for Kelly Loeffler. And David Perdue but ended up talking mostly about that phone call and talking about the election before. And it just you could just feel the entire campaign kind of implode on itself. And those are the things, that, you know, that Friday, we didn't know it was going to happen. By Tuesday, it was clear it had made a big difference. I was just in Syracuse with Amy Gardner, the Washington Post reporter who uh, had the audio tape uh, for them. And she said to this day, it remains like the most clicked on story for the Washington Post because it's the audio. And same thing for us. I'm sure it's still getting big click numbers just for people who want to go relive that audio that is at the center of the Fulton County Grand Jury Probe into whether or not Donald Trump broke criminal laws by trying to overturn the election results. Okay. Now it's time for our favorite segment, the segment that I look forward to every week, the listener mailbag. Boom. You can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. Shaney B and his team of dedicated operators are standing by. Right, Shaney B? Those interns know no holiday. I mean, they are just that dedicated. (laughs) They should just be giving thanks for the opportunity to answer one of these phone calls. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome, interns. (laughs) And this week's listener mailbag will not disappoint. We heard from Josh this week. Josh at UGA. He is already looking to what's way ahead in Georgia politics. Greg and Patricia, it was great to see you all the other week at Governor Kim's re-election party. Speaking of the governor, he is termed out in 2026, and it's never too early to be looking to the future. If my Georgia history is correct, this is the first time since 2002 that Georgia Republicans have the option to run for either an open governor's mansion or a Senate seat. Who are the names on the bench to watch over the next four years as they jockey back and forth between those two seats? And who are the names to watch on the Democrat bench for who might run for governor? Uh, we saw a lot of huge name Democrats uh, fall down behind Stacey Abrams on November the 8th. So uh, who's up next in Georgia? Patricia, it's never too early to start thinking never. about 2026. I love this question. I love it too. Okay. Who are the names? Okay. Let's start with the Republican side. You got to start with Governor Kemp, not running for governor, but running for U.S. Senate. I don't think it's out of possibility by any means that he would be interested in challenging John Ossoff in 2026. We also have a number of other names that could run for either U.S. Senate or governor on the GOP side. Chris Carr, the current attorney general, former chief of staff for Johnny Isaacson, former economic development commissioner in Georgia, he could run for governor or U.S. Senate. Uh, He was thinking about running for U.S. Senate before Herschel Walker threw his uh, hat in the ring. Burt Jones, the incoming lieutenant governor who has yet to even take office, He'll be looked at as a potential candidate for governor in four years because he'll be the number two for the next four years. Who knows how he'll do, but he'll be looked at in that light. Kelly Leffler, she'll be talked about as a comeback. We saw her all over the campaign trail for the last few, well, really the last since, since she lost office starting Greater Georgia, um, the, the Republican answer to Fair Fight. Other names that we've heard plenty of is Congressman Buddy Carter and Drew Ferguson, buddies from down in coastal Georgia, Drew Ferguson's from West Georgia. Each of them have their own basis of support and have been talked about as statewide candidates 
before, and I know I'm missing plenty. Patricia, who else on the Republican side? Uh, so I've also heard Mike Collins' name floated. Now, he will be a freshman member of the U.S. House starting in 2023, but I have already heard his name floated as a potential governor pick, I think because of his business background, also because of his family's long ties in Georgia politics. His name has definitely been floated to me. Other names, those are really the Republicans. I would say the one that pops up the most are Kelly Loeffler, Chris Carr and Burt Jones. That is sort of like the Game of Thrones that people are already <laughs> talking about. And as we said, it's never too early to start speculating. Um, now, on the Democratic side, uh, somebody who we're looking for to be statewide candidates in the future, absolutely, I would say Senator Jen Jordan. She is somebody who I think had been thought of as a potential governor uh, candidate before Stacey Abrams got into this race. We heard her name pushed around quite a bit by fellow Democrats. And um, you have the sense that she's not done with politics yet. I don't have any original reporting to that point, but I think her fellow Democrats would like to see her run again. She had, um, while an unsuccessful race, she had a more successful race than even Stacey Abrams uh, got more votes than Stacey Abrams, yep. which her campaign noted specifically on her press release the day after, um, noted that she got the most statewide votes of any Democrat. So that's a, that was just a little bit of an Easter egg in that press release that makes you think <laughs> maybe there are some laying the groundwork uh, you know, to return to this space in the future. I hear from voters, but not from this person specifically, um, Andre Dickens' name floated mm -hmm. as a potential statewide candidate in the future, along with kind of just coming out of nowhere to win the Atlanta mayor's race. Um, he has really started off on a very good foot with Republicans and the Georgia General Assembly, was able to reset that relationship. And so at the moment, he is seen as having quite a bit of potential crossover appeal, um, not a huge amount, but enough to win a statewide race in a battleground state. So those are two Democratic names that I hear yeah, I, brought up quite a bit. Yeah, I agree with you on both those Democratic names. Um, Jen Jordan got more votes than any Democrat not named Raphael Warnock, Andrew Dickens, has become a, a force of nature in the Democratic Party, in a sense. And aside from John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, he might be the, the most prominent Democratic elected official in Georgia right now. Uh, two other names, or a couple other names I'd add to the list, is Van Johnson down in Savannah, yep. the mayor of Savannah, um, was talked about as a potential statewide candidate this past cycle. Won't be surprised to hear his name brought up in future cycles as well. And I, and I, don't, I definitely don't think we've heard the last of State Representative Bean Wim the um, Democratic nominee for Secretary of State, who lost to Brad Raffensperger. I won't be surprised to see her re-enter the campaign fray or be talked about as a statewide contender for any office in 2024, 2026, I should say. And then, of course, you know, we still don't know that what the future holds for Stacey Abrams. We haven't seen a candidate like her try to run for a third time in office, especially after losing a uh, a rematch by a bigger margin than she lost the, the, the 20, her 2018 run, her first run. But a lot of Democrats will still be waiting to see what she says and does because of her enormous name recognition, her campaign policy agenda, and of course her fundraising ability. So we don't, I don't, I don't personally think she'll run a third time for governor. I don't think she'll run for U.S. Senate. I think she'll try to influence politics a different way, but she still is a powerful force in Georgia politics. Okay, and now it is time for our who's up, who's down for the week. <laughs> this is the Carmen San Diego music. <laughs> Where in the world? 
Patricia, who's your who's down for the week? My who's down for the week are the trio of Republican committees, the NRSC, the RNC, and the Georgia GOP, who have filed a third appeal to block Saturday voting ahead of the runoff. There has been this long legal battle that has been rejected twice, first by a Fulton County judge and then by the State Court of Appeals. Uh, Republicans had been saying that there should not be Saturday voting ahead of this runoff because it is too close to a state holiday and Thanksgiving and Saturday voting in the law is not supposed to happen that way. However, in 2020, there was Saturday voting the day after Christmas, right before the runoff between Kelly Loeffler and Raphael Warnock and then the other Senate race, of course. So there is precedent that argues against this. There is also a judge who has decided against it. The Court of Appeals has decided against it. And my thought is that Republicans should pick it to just trying to get people out to the polls on Saturday instead of trying to keep everybody from voting on the only Saturday available before the runoff. The esteemed Republican strategist Brian Robinson made the a similar point saying, hey, Republicans should get on board. Rather than fight this, the Republicans should start revving up early vote turnout and getting their, their supporters to the polls. And we saw already a handful of Republican-leaning counties like Walton County, Ware County, others who took an early steps to embrace Saturday voting and took that advice. But we're also seeing a lot, of, a lot of pushback. Look, Herschel Walker won about 130 counties. If Republicans also embraced Saturday voting and opened polling precincts in many of those counties, <laughs> they, would, they would run up, they would compete with Democrats in running up margins on that Saturday. Mine kind of dovetails um, with yours, my who's down, is poll workers because there's so much confusion right now. The law wasn't clearly stated. I think it even the provisions in the law that that seemed to have uh, restricted the Saturday voting, at least at first before the court ruling, um, even caught Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in his office off guard. If it wasn't for our AJC colleague Mark Nisi <laughs> prodding on this and breaking the story, we're not sure what would have happened on Saturday voting because there's lots of confusion. And really what that who that affects the most is the poll workers and the election staffers who did such a good job during the November midterm and, and, and throughout these last few years of just all sort, sorts of adversity. And now there's still more confusion about who, when polling stations should be open. Okay, Patricia, who is your who's up for the week? So my who's up, it's a double who's up. Uh, the first one is for the legacy of David Ralston. We, he had the formal ceremonies earlier this week where he was lying in state and the outpouring of emotion from Republicans and Democrats. There were hundreds of lawmakers at the Capitol from both parties and who were in some cases standing arm in arm, no matter their party, all escorted him into the Capitol as they began to have this, the uh, the late Speaker Alliance state. It's just a very kind of wonderful testament to the kind of treatment that he reserved for his members of both parties and then their response to that and the way they've been treating each other as well, I think is a really good example that he is leaving behind. And I think just about everybody in the Capitol hopes that it will continue on. And so that is one of my who's up this week. My other one is Shaney B for doing all of these <laughs> special episodes. We have worked that guy to the bone. He's taping this episode at his dad's house somewhere else in the country right now. Now. I don't think he's in the basement, but he might be. Undisclosed location. And Shane, you have gone above and beyond. I'm in Florida. We don't have basements, but I'm in a I'm in a back porch. And you can tell his uh, wireless connection is not great. So thank you, Shane, for everything. We are thankful for you.
Oh, you guys are my who's up every week. Well, you stole my who's up. I was going to say. Sh- I did. You're kidding. <laughs> we did not plan that. I was going to say Shaney B and you, Patricia. Uh, oh, I'm the thankful for you, <laughs> The politically Georgia team uh, who has, has kept the lights running for another year. I don't even know when, when I, I used to, I started this podcast solo. I don't know how many years ago. And it has been awesome to have the two of you on the Politically Georgia team making this so much more fun. That is and, so sweet. I'm crying. <laughs> and a, a must-listen for so many of our Georgia listeners. A new way for us to connect with our audience. So we love this show. Yes. Yes. Thanks to our listeners who turn tune out. I mean, tune out. Turn out <laughs> and tune in <laughs> every time. And apparently the day after Thanksgiving. So nobody would we wouldn't do a podcast if nobody listened to it, obviously. So that's a big thanks. Well, thank you all again so much for listening to Politically Georgia podcast. Hope you had a very restful and happy Thanksgiving. Get ready for the holiday season. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever news breaks, whenever we can drag Shaney B to his <laughs> to his undisclosed location. <laughs> we will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.